And, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges uh, in these stories. There's a lot of, of just issues that people face. And, and part of what I wanted to share and why I wanted to go through this, through this series with you all was because we all have these kinds of issues. They look a little different. They, they have different labels on them, but at their core, we all have issues. And, and speaking, of, speaking of issues, the Perkins had issues uh, a few years ago with their Christmas card. Thank you for sending it. Uh, 2003, if I'm not mistaken, Christmas card. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it always can't be, you know, but it captures the essence of the holidays, doesn't it? Um, it's like, you know, somebody's always upset or hu- hangry or you know, hungry and angry or disappointed or, and other people are fine. Like, I love the contrast is, is really, it's like, hey, I'm happy. And, you know, I don't care what, is that, what, is there a story? Is there a story? Uh, well, we would always say, um, smi- he smiled all the time, but when we would say smile, he didn't, his face did not, it would do this weird scrunched up. And, and I think we were saying, no, smile. And like, no, smile. I mean, just was like, I don't know what you want me to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, well, good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. So we've got one more week of that. If you haven't uh, sent me any fun pictures and you want to be in the last week, uh, please, please do so. I don't know what the trick is here. I'm not, uh, i got to push it a little harder, I think, is the deal. We'll hold it a little longer. So we, we stick on our hypothesis that ministry relies on relationships. And because these events in Hebrews chapter 11 represent, uh, well, or they're, they're um, recounting of actual events, those individuals had an uh, exceeding faith. They had some sort of faith that landed them in the hall of faith. So we can learn from the relationships that they had. We can learn from their interactions with other people, and we can apply those to our life. We're, we're not an island. No one lives unto themselves, and no one dies unto themselves. You are going to interact with people. And um, today we're going to be looking at, at David, a, uh, wow, a confident faith, right? And so here he is, uh, you know, uh, dealing with, uh, with Goliath. And in, in Hebrews 11.32, wow, this is going to be a, a nemesis, I can tell. So, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. So, uh, what shall I say, uh, more, shall I say, more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and the prophets. So today we will be talking about David. And when you think about David... Uh, I know for me, the story of David and Goliath is probably the one that I think of within the context of faith, right? Within the context of dealing with a faith event. Yes, David went through a lot and there's a lot. I mean, there's no way in one class I could cover David's life and do it any kind of justice. David's faith pinnacle in my humble opinion was his dealings with um, you know with uh, with actually the nation of Israel including Saul and in, in leading up so so first I want to look at a few verses and and really show you how uh, David was confident David was confident in song so as he wrote he didn't write all the Psalms and it's it's kind of hard. I actually had to look up which Psalms David wrote because it's not like Psalms one through fifteen and then thirty through 
60. There are kind of some smatterings in there. So I would recommend, especially if you have a study Bible, to print those out. Or in, in, it's actually not a, a bad idea to go in your Bible and, and, and mark which ones are Psalms of David. Most of them are clearly articulated. Some of them are not necessarily, depending on the, the, the printer, not the version of the Bible that you have, but the printer will, will sometimes include a little more or a little less information on whether it's a Psalm of David. Most of them are pretty straightforward, and it says a Psalm of David. But I would encourage you to know that because the, the themes that you see in David's Psalms are, in fact, a little bit different. And so some of the Psalms really talk about his, his challenges. His, and, and again, this kind of what, when I teach, when I share, when we go through this, often you're taking the journey here on Sunday morning that I've taken through the week in preparing for it. And I started, in fact, in, the, in David's Psalms with, a, with an attempt to try to understand where the Lord wanted to take me. And I came across this concept of knowing that David had this faith of knowing God, being confident in God, this confident faith. In Psalm 41, 11, by this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Like he had the confidence that God was, quote, on his side. And I know that's not the best way of saying it, but he knew that God had favor on him. He knew that God looked kindly on him because his enemy didn't triumph over him, right? And he had many enemies, right? He had Goliath, certainly as a nation of Israel was a, an enemy, but his, you know, Saul became an enemy. His own son became an enemy. Like, like David lived a, a very bloody um, life with a lot of conflict and a lot of challenges, right? But he knew that God favored him because his enemy didn't triumph over him. Also in Psalm 56, 9, when I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Like, he knew it. He had this faith basis. Uh, ba- at this point, you know, obviously many of these events were later, in, or the, uh, the, the documenting them in psalm, or in song form, lyrics, if you will, were, were looking back at his, the events that he had experienced earlier in his life. But he knew that he could cry unto the Lord and God would hear him. There was great confidence in that. In Psalm 140, in verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. He will, I know, like, it's, it's a foregone conclusion in David's mind that that will happen. Uh, but, I, but know that the Lord, and so, so this is actually one of the few that are, that are kind of proactive, if you will, where he's actually proclaiming, but like, you know, you should know that the Lord has set him or set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear him when I call unto him. Or yeah, the, yeah, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. So like I know that he's going to hear me. You can know that as well. It's a proactive statement that the Lord hath set apart that him that is godly for himself. That is a great eternal promise actually, right? In Psalm 26 or 20 and verse 6 now I know that the Lord hath that the Lord saveth his anointed he will t- uh, hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength 
of his right hand. He knows that the Lord is going to save. Now, this is a very personal application because if you remember, David was anointed, right? He was, there was, and, and this is going to be a little bit of a, a, of a theme that we're going to experience and see as we progress through the lesson today, that when David hears God speak, when David knows that God is in the midst of the message, he takes that directly to heart and he applies it in a way that's very tangible, that's very practical. If I told you, I know the Chiefs are going to win today, like, like I know, like if I was in the shoes of God and said the Chiefs were going to win, this actually happened. To, this, this very thing happened to me this week because the NFL channel replays games. And I knew that the Chiefs were going to beat the Buffalo Bills because they played October 10th or something. I knew what the outcome of the game was. And my family probably thinks I'm a little weird because I watch Chiefs games that are not that are old and I know what's going to happen. But but that's a really good point. So they think I'm a little more weird. This adds to the (laughs) repertoire of my weirdness. So I'm watching this game and you know how much stress I had over the win? Today I'm going to have a little, I'm not like a super fan, but I do get frustrated when bad things happen and I, you know, especially with penalties. Penalties grate me for some reason. Stop cheating! Um... Don't hold him. You know the rules. Um, where was I? Yeah. So today I'll have some stress about the Saints game. But you know how much stress I had about the Buffalo Bills game on Thursday or whatever, Friday, whatever day it was I was watching? Absolutely zero. Because I knew the outcome. I knew the outcome. And David is so faithful, he's so confident in God's word that it's a foregone conclusion, just like I knew the Chiefs were going to win that. There was no way they were going to lose against the, the Buffalo Bills because they had already won. Right? And in David's mind, God's word is that settled. Yeah. He's that confident in it. And we can be that confident in it too. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. I know that the Lord saveth is anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. He knows that. It's a foregone conclusion. And it's really with this backdrop, it's with these verses in mind that were written after the events that we're going to talk about. So he, you know, he's, he's reinforcing it from, from the past. He's, he's recounting what God has done in his life right? But he can make these definitive, very confident statements. So, so David had confidence, <clears throat> excuse me, when it mattered. He had confidence when it mattered. So go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to spend most of our time in 1 Samuel 17. It is the story of David and Goliath, right? We're going to look generally toward the end of the story first and kind of back up to the beginning. In verse 46, this is his interaction with Goliath. So all the stuff to prepare the moment of battle has already occurred. We'll talk more about it. This, and then we get to verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. 
and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Wow. Wow. He does it in the name of the Lord. He has this amazing confidence that he is going to take down this giant. That's when he's facing him. That's at the moment of interaction. Like, I'm not the greatest when it comes to confrontation. You know, there's some people that dig it. I I actually work with a gal. She's from, surprise, surprise, New York. Uh, And she doesn't really mind confrontation. She kind of, I think, likes it. You know, but what's what's interesting is she likes it when there's actual confrontation. So she actually, if I like just kind of back off, back down or whatever, and let her have her way, she's disappointed. Like she wants us, she wants to go totally respectful, but she wants to kind of go toe to toe on things. And there are some people like that. I'm more of the I would rather resolve it, but actually resolve it. Figure out the problem. Let's get to the basis of it. Let's let's figure out a path to to resolution here. David's like walks up and is like, no, you're gonna die. You're I am gonna cut your head off, and the fowls are gonna eat your carcass. Good morning to you, David. Right? I mean, that's that's an amazing amount of confidence. If you were so I'm just gonna stick with the sports theme for a second. This is so much confidence it borderlines on cocky. Right? I mean, a, a, an NFL quarterback is supposed to be confident, but not cocky. Like I don't know exactly where confidence goes and crosses over. I remember the moment that I realized Patrick Mahomes was a little cocky and not just confident was he, when, when there was a clip after he scored a touchdown where he said, I'm a beast. I'm a beast. You know, that went from confident to a little bit of cocky. Okay. David, I don't know. I, I don't believe it's cockiness. He just is that certain that the Lord is going to come through. He's just that certain. There is a God in Israel and everybody's going to know it because you're going to die. Wow. So let's go into our um, into our, our you know the, the nature of our, our, uh, of our study and specifically looking at this kind of con- concept of cockiness versus versus misplaced pride here is before we get into the faith and the purpose. Look at verse 28. So he says that, but let's go back and look at verse 28. Now Eliab, his, el- uh, his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men. So David's now there. He's interacting with the people and he, he's going to kind of claiming the promise that he's going to go kill Goliath. And um, when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's uh, anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? You know, why'd you come to the battle? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in thy wilderness? He's basically talking trash to David. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You just, you want to hang with the big boys in the midst of the battle. So this is the moment where David has this kind of inflection. I, I personally believe has this inflection moment. And sometimes we need people like this in our life, the Eliabs in our life, to challenge 
Are, are you doing this out of your own flesh? Or are you doing this for the Lord? Are you doing this because you get some sort of um, value? You know, I, I have to check myself when I stand uh, in, in, in the, quote, teaching pulpit. Because I really enjoy this. I don't think it makes it a sin that I enjoy it, right? But I can't do it because I enjoy it. Does that, does that make sense? Like, I get the blessing of enjoying it. But if I do it because I enjoy it, now I've set myself in a position that's become come technically between God and you. And that's very, like, ah, that scares me a little bit. I have to check my pride at the door. And we need Eliab's in our life to say, well, are you just doing this because you like it? Are you just down here to see the, 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 the battle? Because, well, that's what, that's what boys do. They want to come hang out with men at the battle, right? But, but David goes, he rises above that. He has faith in the purpose or the cause. Look at the next verse. Now David, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. Uh, so, and, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So, so I actually considered doing a little interaction here up here again with the, with our, with our little acting. We had to, last week we had a, a major fight over, was it cereal bars, right? But, but I, I thought about this, but, but we're going to play it out just a little bit. So bear with me. So David responds to his brother, what? Is there not a cause that you're fighting for? You're approaching the battle as if it's a thing. You're approaching this amazing event, this uh, representative of the spiritual battle, actually, as a thing that is to be watched as compared to be, is there not a cause? Is it not worth winning? Is it not worth? And so he turns in verse 30 he turned from him toward another, maybe another brother, we don't know, and spake after the same manner. So just on the surface, there's probably two situations, two possibilities that David is speaking about. One is that he is saying what he just said in verse 29. So he's interacting with his brother. His brother's like, ah, oh, you're just a you're just a punk kid. And he's like, what? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to fight this battle? And he turns to, to Jisung and he says, one of two things. Is there not a cause? Is there not worth fighting the battle? Or jump back up to verse, verse uh, 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that taketh this Philistine and or killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? He has one of two things that he could have said. Based on scripture, we don't definitively know which two things that David said. Because it's what the verse actually says, and he turned from him, verse 30, toward another and spake after the same manner. So it's either the thing he just said, is there not a cause, or the thing that started that conversation, which is, what does the guy get who kills Goliath? Who kills the Philistine? Now, I think it's a pretty pretty easy practical application that he says what he said what he responded to Eliab 
I mean, I can almost see this playing out like a movie. I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen a movie on David. Maybe there was like the Bible series back in the, that came out a few years ago, but, but that was on like TV, like on, maybe on the History Channel. Got to be careful with those because sometimes they're really good and they give you a kind of a, a glimpse, of, a physical glimpse into it, but obviously men are involved, so you got to be careful about that. So, and women too, but humans are involved. So you, you got to be careful about the women too, uh, not just the guys. So, but I can see in my mind's eye, He's arguing with Eliab. Eliab's like, you're a punk kid. You shouldn't even be here. Who's watching the sheep? You just came down to see the real men be men. And he's like, but you're not even fighting. You're just standing here and your knees shudder every time he comes out and challenges you. Is God not God? Is there not a cause? I mean, uh, Maria talked about it this morning as well. Is there not a cause? Like, that is... It's representative of God's provision and oversight over the nation of Israel. Is there not something worth fighting for? And then he turns and after the same manner to another person, presumably again after, and, and in verse 30, and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. I can almost see him saying, is there not a cause? Like when we were clapping, when I don't know if Brian, like trying to get Sam coming, right? To the, to the thing, right? Trying to get Sam's attention. I can almost see David going, is there not a cause? 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 And I can, I was kind of hoping you would jump on that, but y'all didn't. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you would jump onto the, is there not a cause? Right? I can see the people almost welling up. Because look at what happens in verse 31. And when the words which they heard, or the, uh, when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. I can only imagine. I could be wrong. It could be about the things that the guy gets, but I don't think so. I think it's about the cause. It's about the cause. When you look at Exodus 24 and, the, and verse 3, and Moses came and told all the people, or told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said all the words which the Lord hath said we will do. Like, this is a bit of a pattern with the Jewish people. Honestly, it's a bit of a pattern for a lot of people except this class. Just kidding. Right? Let them play, right? Wasn't that bad news bears? Let them play. Anybody remember that? Anybody see that back in like the late 70s? Late, yeah, okay. Mid 70s. Let them play, right? In Matthew 20, 27, 25, and all the people answered with Jesus, right? His blood be on us and our children. Like, they rally behind these kinds of phrases. I think there's at least enough scriptural evidence. I don't feel like I'm out on a limb here saying that I can almost hear the, Jew, the Jews from the, is, from the Philistines' side chanting, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And this brings us to our first relationship rule. Confident faith can be infectious. Confident faith can be absolutely infectious. And yes, sometimes it plays on emotion. Sometimes it plays on situation. But it can be infectious. A confident faith can be infectious. So he had faith in the purpose or the cause, but he also had faith in the past. 
A lot of words on the slide. I apologize for that. But 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, he's now before, uh, David's before Saul. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against, uh, go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this the uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled, defied rather the armies of the living God. I mean, amazing. It continues on. And David said, moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. I mean, confident faith. But why? He had faith in his past. This, this Philistine did not intimidate him any more as a creation of God than a lion or a bear. Arguably, even less. Because his hand-to-hand combat with these, this lion and bear, and I do believe he's recounting two stories, yeah. but he's p- pushing them together in an example or, or his statements, that I, I can't, it, look, a lion, I mean, we, we lived in Missoula, Montana for a while, and there was a story about a mountain lion, because they're probably mountain lions, not the big main kind of lions that we think of when we think of like Lion King. Right, but the 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 lions that they were probably dealing with were more of a mountain lion. And we lived in Missoula, Montana, for a couple of years, and there was a story about uh, a a uh, kindergarten age day camp that had hiked up, just you know, parked a, a bus and had just walked as far as kindergartners can walk. So it's not like way backwoods kind of thing. And one of the high school students that was with the camp was toward the end. One of the kids had stopped to tie his shoe or needed his shoe tied. I don't remember the detail of the story. I think the kid was tying his own shoe because the high school kid walked past him just a few feet and turned to watch him to make sure he could get it done and catch up with the group. And a mountain lion came down and grabbed the kindergartner and jumps into the brush. The young man, I think it was a, a young high school man, grabs sticks, rocks, and just starts anything he can, pummeling, throwing stuff at this mountain lion. Eventually, it drops the kid and runs off. Like, that dude's got a story to tell. I mean, he was on the news. That's how I knew about the story, right? And, if, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, that kid was humble and appropriate. He's like, look, you don't really think in that moment, you respond. You don't want to see this kid killed. You do what you got to do, right? David had that set. Like, David had already been in a situation where he responded. He wasn't thinking, so to speak, if, you, if you're with me. He was prepared. He knew how to fight these, these beasts. And he responded. Now that the situation is worth thought, it's like, well, nothing's changed. I've been there. I've done that. I know I've come back. I don't know why sports are such a big deal today. I've come back from 24 n- nothing in the playoffs. Like, it's no big deal. Like, third and 15, just call a wasp. I mean, it's no big deal. We've got this, right? I mean, it, it is no big deal, the situation I'm in. 
he is not that big of a deal. He's not any bigger. He's not any badder. I mean, and, and the hand-to-hand combat that he dealt with, with the lion and bear, the paw, as he described it. I mean, he's not even going to get that close to Philistine until, until, to Goliath until he's, he's unconscious. So this is kind of like uh, almost, I don't want to say a non-event, but it's not, not a big event. Look, look, Psalm 126, verse 3, also a Psalm of David. For the Lord hath done great things for us, we are, whereof we are glad. Howbeit Jesus suffered in, in Mark 15, 19, uh, but say to them, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. These are things in the past. You can rely on the fact that the Lord has done the work in the past. And yes, that made David prepared for that day's events. People, there was, a, I read several commentaries, blogs, all sorts of things on this passage, and I, I I never cease to be amazed as an aside. So you really need to be careful when you do that, because there's people that definitively talk about a passage this way, and they talk other people that definitively talk about the exact same passage this way, and they both say the other person's wrong. So you really have to not just read one commentary or just trust one person because men, humans are fallible, right? I will mess up. I will say things that at some point are not correct, okay? So you you cannot trust Mitch. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit teaching you, okay? But some people are like, was David prepared or was David acting in faith? as if those two things are diametrically opposed. I would argue they're the exact same. He was prepared and executing on his faith. Right? That's not, I mean, to, 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 to suggest that a, a person going to war is completely acting on faith because they don't know how to shoot a gun is kind of ridiculous in my mind. And that's how some of these folks were kind of posturing it as if as if David taking these sto- five stones out of a uh, out of the brook and we'll talk more about that in a moment was some lack of faith. No, he knew exactly based on his his interactions with the animals this whole scene was no big deal. I've got this. I've got this. And again, borderline cocky. I I don't know how else to say it. So this brings us to our relationship rule number 2 for today. People want or need <coughs> excuse me, to know how the Lord has worked in your life. Your testimony matters. You might have heard it said, you know, you're the fifth gospel that people will read. Your life story is the fifth gospel people will read. I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily go that far because it equates your testimony to the power of the word of God and the word of God is more powerful than our testimony. Okay. But we will overcome, right. By the word of the Lord and the power of our testimony. Right. So it's a component. Okay. All right. It's a component, but people want to know. That's why testimonials are, are, are so important in commercials. That's why the gospel is best shared with maybe not best, often best shared by you simply sharing what God has done in your life. Okay? It's really not that complicated. People want to know how the Lord has worked in your life. And he has faith in the proven. Faith in the proven. And David, back in our, in our, our passage here, 
in Psalm or uh, Psalm First Samuel seventeen, starting in verse thirty-nine, right? Uh, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go. So remember, uh, Saul gives his armor, his own Saul's armor, to, to David. He puts it on in verse thirty-eight. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with thee, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff, which kind of disappears in the story, to be honest. He took his staff, I believe a picture of the word of God, in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He drew near to the Philistine. So, why five stones? Well, I've heard, you know, if you're a numerology person, five is the number of death. Yeah, probably a pretty good, uh, pretty good application. I've also heard it said that Goliath had four sons or four brothers, depending upon how you re- uh, reconcile a couple other uh, passages. Second Samuel 21, 20 to 22, talk about these four other men that are uh, sons of, of, uh, of the giant. So presumably of Goliath. So, you know, some people say, well, maybe it's one stone for each of those. And that's how much faith he had. I, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know that I put that much, that much credit into any of that other than David was prepared. Yeah. David was prepared. He was, he was down for this battle. He was down for this battle, including his staff that he doesn't actually, actually need to use. In Second Chronicles 26 and verse 14, notice that slings are actually... An, uh, a, a, a tool, an instrument of war. And Uzziah prepared them throughout all the host's uh, shields and spears and helmets and haberdons and bows and slings to cast stones. So this was not a boy toy. This wasn't some think kind of thing. This had the ability to kill. It certainly had the ability to incapacitate, which in the midst of a battle is the ability to kill. Right? If I can incapacitate my enemy, I can kill them easily, which is obviously what happens. Zechariah 9.15, the Lord of hosts shall defend them and they shall devour and subdue. How? With sling stones. And they shall drink and make a noise as through wine and they shall be filled like bowls as the corners of the altar and as the corners of the altar. So this, this sling stones, this, this concept of using a sling to cast stones is not inconsequential. It's not inconsequential. This brings us to um, to the, this whole situation with the armor and David's familiarity with the proven brings us, again, just for a little bit of sake of time, don't let others' perspective of your situation cause your faith to waver. He had no experience with a sword and shield. And what might, entice, might have enticed David to use it because that's what the enemy had. He didn't fall for it. He didn't bite on trying to meet the enemy where the enemy was. He was going to use the things he was familiar with. 
So when somebody comes at you, and this is the best, when somebody comes at you with like some sort of deep, you know, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, and I've got all this stuff, and I've got all these this data that shows God doesn't exist and everything, you know, it's so nice to just undercut those with simple concepts of faith, with simple concepts of miracle, with simple concepts of things that can't be that can't be explained. I mean, you don't have to engage the enemy the way they engage you. You don't need to come at them with statistics and have a great debate about uh, about spiritual things. Yes, you probably should be able to talk yourself out of a paper bag when it comes to spiritual concepts with respect to authority of the Word of God, with respect to dispensational concepts and those types of things. You should You should be familiar. But don't feel like you have to rise to the level of intellectualism, which is what they're bringing to the battle, right? Fight on your terms. Fight with spiritual things, right? And don't don't feel like you have to engage the enemy the same way the enemy engages you, all right? And so our last section is faith in the power. Faith in the power, really faith in the name. In 1 Samuel 17, picking it up in verse 45, uh, and part of which, we, which we've already seen this morning. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. It's this very point that I was just mentioning. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Like, you can come at me, bro, however you want, but I've got God on my side. Like, I don't need a sword and a shield. I don't. I don't need a sword and a shield to fight you. Um, in verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into to mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And, and again, the carcass situation, verse 47. And this, all, look at this. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. In, in another Psalm of David. Psalm 140, verse 7. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Like literally that submission, literally that confidence in God is what you need in the day of battle. Now, the good news is when we leave here, we have security. So you're not going to run into a giant in the parking lot. They'll take care of it. There's no giants lurking out there, right? But not too different from the spoken word this morning. You might have this was, I don't remember how she described that this glooming sense of fear, yeah. right? Or addiction or oppression or, or angst or anxiety or, or whatever it is. Like, don't try to fight it with its own stuff. Fight it with the Lord. Let the Lord win the battle, right? <clears throat> Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Wow, wow. So it brings us to our fourth relationship rule. The testimony of the Lord is in your hands and mouth. It will impact others. The test, so before we were talking about your testimony of what God did, but in this case, a little spin on it, the testimony of the Lord... That is the thing that will win the day. So it's pretty, you know, it's pretty neat. Neat story. Verse 49, David put his hand in his bag. It's like, it's like, 
He reaches in, he grabs the thing, and the Philistine's like, why are you whistling? I don't know, it seemed appropriate for the movie. And he puts it, I don't even know, like, he has his staff, presumably, in his left hand. I don't know why. That's what the picture was, so it must be right. Staff in one hand. He puts the, he's probably, you know, they're probably looking at each other. Neither of them is blinking, right? People are gathered around a tumbleweed, right? Tumbleweed rolls past, right? And he puts that stone in that sling and he drops it down, holding on to those two leather strings and he starts I mean just like that it had to have been it was just awesome and and the the picture I, I won't even try to go back but the picture that we had had the Philistine attack you know coming at him right I don't know scripture's not that specific on it right but it was a battle I do kind of wonder I think some people kind of have Goliath's just kind of back cocky. I don't know. I mean, Goliath probably was thinking this is like a, a mini snack. I can just cut this kid in half. Got, huh? Show me what you got. Yeah, show me what you got, kid. Yeah, he might. Who knows? Like, I don't specific know. But what I do love is verse 49 at the end of it. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. That's why some people believe he was actually coming at him. Because the sling, even going into him, still caused him, if he was standing, when you get hit, he presumably would have fallen back. But now we're getting into like JFK, was the bullet from the back or the bullet from the front? I don't know. So you guys, you're with me on that, right? Okay. So like, I don't know if there was a second slinger on the grassy hill. I don't know. Like, I don't know. But what I do know is that, you know, we all have sinuses right here. And that, it actually wouldn't, wouldn't have taken that much force. I mean, the stone didn't kill him. The stone simply knocked him out. Simply knocked him out. And David obviously runs and he cuts off, cuts off his head while he's, I'm sure the rest of the Philistines were like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I cannot believe it. And the one guy's like, you should have wore your helmet. Because um, there's always one in the crowd. I'm, sometimes I'm that one. right? But look at the last verse. Look at the last verse we're going to look at today. Verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah arose when they saw the Philistines saw their champion was dead. They fled. And verse 52. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. And then it continues on, right? Where they, you know, take them and they do all the stuff. And but I can't help but think some of them were like, "Yes, there is a cause." Like I can't help but think they were encouraged in that moment with God just came through. God think came through with this little ruddy kid, with this young man, and we're gonna take the day. We're gonna win the day. And, you know, the Lord is amazing that way. He, you know, I know we do it in, in, in drama, in song, in, in spoken word, in different ways to try to picture how simple it was that Christ came to earth as a humble little baby to win the day and how awesome that is. Like, I am really looking forward to the day when the clouds roll back and he, he comes as the Lord of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But oh, to have come as such a simple little human to solve such a big problem. 
and I don't know where you're at spiritually on the, these things. I know we all have battles that we fight. Some of you aren't even, like, some of you are on the edge of the army, don't even understand what's going on. That's cool. You can get in the game. Like, we can disciple you. We can teach you. We can, we can help you with your spiritual walk. We would be honored, actually, to do that. But those, I am a firm believer that everybody needs to take the next step in their spiritual journey. I don't care who you are in here. You've got a next step to take. And this church is prepared to help you take that next step. Whether it's a next step of salvation and just understanding what Christ did for you and applying his sacrifice to your sin, or whether it's a, a, a tangible step, a, a, an ex, outwardly tangible step such as baptism or, or committing to, to being discipled, or maybe it's committing to disciple, right? Maybe it's growing in your faith. Maybe it's, it's taking classes so that you can sharpen your, so you can have those moments where you know how to fight a bear and a lion so that when you are faced with a Goliath, you can win the day. This church is prepared. Literally, I don't care where you're at. This church is prepared to help you take that next step. And so we're going to pray, and I would just encourage you, if you need, if there's something you need, if, if you're a guy, just come grab me. If you're a lady, come grab Michelle or, or maybe Liza or one of the other leader uh, ladies that are leading Christy, uh, and we'll, we'll make sure that you get hooked up, that you, we, we can get you networked in this ministry the way that you, that, that you need. We can also you know, explain the gospel in more detail. This is obviously not a terribly gospel-centric message today. But it is in the sense that faith is the driver. And the faith is what brings us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you for the fact that you win the day. Uh, every time you've gone into battle, you have not lost. And that is an amazing, amazing promise. And so we pray that, uh, I pray that, Specifically, no one would just be allowed to to be comfortable in their current state without taking and and preparing to take those next steps in their spiritual walk. Lord, if they don't even know how to walk with you, if they don't even know if they have a relationship with you, that you would use the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Help them to understand their need for a Savior. And, and for those of us who are saved, help us to just be mindful of the next, the next step, the baptism, the discipleship, the teaching, whatever it is, serving in some area of ministry maybe. Uh, Lord, help us to be faithful. Um, Lord, just thank you for allowing us to celebrate um, this, this Christmas week, allowing us to focus on your birth and coming to solve the to to win the de- to to win the battle to solve the problem of our of our spiritual death, we love you and thank you and ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Bef-